0: Good afternoon, welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you had some time to spend with me on this lovely Chico afternoon. Not quite summer, but we're almost there and it's starting to get warm. Well, this has been an interesting year. We had the virus thing. Now we have the civil rights, if you want to call it that thing. And... I did want to just kind of go over, I've been downtown a couple times in the last week or two, which is nice. There's actually places to go downtown in Chico. I hope downtown Chico survives. I talked to a retailer who's getting ready to not stay, to put it lightly. I believe they said their entire day, the day before was gross sales of $60 and then the next day was $30. No retail establishment can live on averaging $45 a day for, you know, that'd be like $900 a month of gross. It's ridiculous. So I'm a little worried that downtown Chico's going to die on the vine, especially if the students don't come back to support the bars and restaurants. But I did just want to print out, I printed out this timeline, an opening timeline from Butte County reopens what you should know. I'm not sure when they printed this, but it starts, the list starts in May. And it looks like all the other openings happened, according to this, June 12th. So that's just a little while ago. So I'm just going to look at the list of things that it says here opened uh, June 12th. Day camps, June 12th, well that's that's handy for parents who have kids that want to get out and uh, do some camp things in the summer that's a good idea child care revised guidance open june 12th casinos card rooms and racetracks june 12th these are all june 12th film tv and music production pro sports with no live audience hmm wonder how that's going to go uh, campgrounds rv parks and outdoor recreation june 12th hotels lodging and short term rentals these are all June twelfth again. Movie theaters, okay. I'm. I'll have to look up whether the big theaters at the on East Avenue, uh, Cinemark. I'm wondering if I heard they didn't open, so I'll check on that. Bars and wineries June twelfth. Fitness facilities June twelfth. Museums, galleries, zoos, and aquariums. So I won't go into all the details, but it is good news. It looks like that's the last category of businesses that are being allowed to open. As a former law student with a law degree, I will say my favorite class during law school was constitutional law, but now that I see that the entire Constitution's pretty much completely ignored all the time, I'm not sure why I bothered studying and reading those cases. And that's as far as I'll go with that. I try to not be political, so I'm not going to pick sides, but I will be your second opinion on a lot of things. That's my goal. My goal is to entertain, hopefully educate, and at least I'd like to give you the second opinion where you can think about alternatives from the stories that you hear over and over that may or may not be true. And one thing to remember is the more you hear it doesn't make it more true. Stimulus. I'm in the thick of things getting all the taxes done. The new due date of July 15th is approaching, so I have to get seriously to work to get all the taxes I can finish done. If anyone owes tax, it's due July 15 instead of April 15. That's the big day for making a payment if you owe So you don't have any interest in penalties past that date. My main feeling on the whole tax and IRS thing is here we are little people running around working, paying our social security, especially our social security tax. I've gone into this in depth many times on business buzz. The self-employment tax is really the killer for the, for the average guy. Uh, You could be a handyman with a couple of children and you could go out and make fifty or 60000 in the year. The regular income tax will be very low or zero. But if you net $50,000, your Social Security and Medicare tax is $7,500. And that, to me, is just the most unfair tax. And what really gets me is these bailouts of Big business and big banks, it's in the trillions of dollars. They're printing like there's no tomorrow, which I knew they would do. Remember all the articles I read from Egon von Griers over the past few months? He predicted exactly what's happening. This virus thing, I call it a virus thing because I'm not even sure its it exists, uh, a disease that 99% of people recover from and most people if they have it don't even know they have it. I'm just not convinced that it's a serious problem. I have yet to meet somebody who got very sick from it. I have met a few people who claim to have had it but they got over it in a couple of days. Uh, I mean, I claim to have had food poisoning or the flu and I've got over it in a couple of days so no big deal there. Like I say it's all too convenient and like I said before, when this virus thing started back in probably in March, I already told you my theory is that the economy was crumbling and this is, was going to be the excuse. In September of 2019, the system broke just like it did in 08. And what they called a the repo window when all the banks started not trusting each other because they all have zero net worth and they're all bankrupt. All the large banks are bankrupt because their assets are virtually worthless. It broke in September. And I was telling you about the repo market and the billions of dollars every night that was being fed into the system. And when I say fed into the system, it basically means they're bailing out the rich guys and the banks. And that's what gets me when people wonder, and I just, I brought an article About uh, called Americans Want a Second Stimulus Check to Support the Economy, So What's the Holdup? And this was dated uh, June 15th, so it's very recent. And I'm going to just read a little bit about it. Uh, As a nation, Americans were pretty responsible with the economic impact payment they got from the CARES Act. We didn't really blow the payments on outlandish things. According to a money poll from April, most people used the cash for bills, Groceries and rent and mortgage payments. Others put them into checking or savings accounts. But 60% of those respondents said the money fell short of meeting all their needs, and that's only become a bigger issue as the coronavirus crisis has worn on. We're now approaching what experts are calling the cliff when all of the temporary measures the government put in place in March run out this summer and things are nowhere near back to normal. This article is just talking about what the upcoming possible second stimulus might be. It hasn't passed yet. One of them, the Demo- House Democrats introduced the Health and Economic Recovery Omnibus Emergency Solutions Act, which would give people 1200 per family member and max out at 6000 per household. So that sounds good because that would be 1200 per person instead of 1200 for the Two taxpayers listed first and 500 for the dependent children. It looks like if you had a family of two parents and three children, they would get $6,000. Now that would be an amount that might help somewhat. That's a pretty decent chunk of money. Meanwhile, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, and Ed Markey have backed the Monthly Economic Crisis Support Act, which would send $2,000 a month to every individual until the pandemic is over. Wow. That's interesting. But what gets me is whether whatever you think about that kind of stimulus where everybody gets 2000 a month for a while. Some people think that's a bad idea. Some people think it's a good idea. I'm not really sure, except what really gets me is I know for a fact that these banks are getting billions and billions of dollars every night, but we have to fight and claw for, what, four or five, for three or four trillion that would, I, I would have to just do the math in my head. 2,000 times 200 million would be 400 billion per month. So even though that sounds outrageously huge, I would say that they're probably printing 400 billion a week right now to bail out these crooked banks that are bankrupt and have no real assets left on their balance sheets and it's been made much worse by this shutdown could you imagine if you owned bonds issued by say real estate investments that own malls and commercial office buildings and all the businesses shut down for a couple of months what asset do you own what's the value of that what's the value of that value of that obligation What's the value of if you even if you owned a whole mall, what's the value of your mall if the tenants can't pay their rent? That's the type of assets we're dealing with on these big bank balance sheets, and I'm here to say they're probably worth most of these assets are worthless. So all they can do is print billions of dollars every night to keep the show to keep the show going, and it really gets me that this 2000 a month in my little quick calculation would be 400 billion a month rough round round numbers call it 500 500 billion a month and it'll probably won't happen they probably won't do that much stimulus for the average regular guy but every night they're pumping billions and billions into these banks just to keep them alive it's like a blood transfusion every night unbelievable so when you look at your bank account and you think you've got all this wealth in your bank and your brokerage account, think again, because every night these, the dollars you own are being diluted and degradated and devalued by the printing of more and more money. One guy pointed out that up until this year with this stimulus, all this extra money printing, it only goes into the banks, the stock market, And all those years of trillion dollar wars in the Middle East, all these dollars got pumped into the foreign, into the worldwide dollar system. And it didn't cause inflation here because it wasn't in the domestic economy. If they were to give 500 billion a month to people and it lasted for six months, that'd be 3 trillion that would be in the US economy and that would cause inflation to happen here worse than it already is, which I say it's already pretty bad, it's here. They claim it's really not here, and the reason they've kept inflation fairly manageable is because the dollars that they print go into foreign things like wars, military spending, foreign banks get bailed out like they did in 2008. So we don't see the domestic Inflation happen here. They know that if they sent $2,000 per person every month for six months to the U.S. people, which is what they should be doing. If the, yeah, I'm not saying they should do it because I don't think it's good to print trillions of dollars a month. But the fact that they're printing trillions of dollars a month anyway, in that case, I think it should go to the United States people. Here's the problem. If they send it to U.S. people, it will cause inflation here. And they're afraid of people getting panicked by inflation. I'll be back after the break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm going to have some more wonderful entertainment for you right after the break. Stay tuned.
1: Journey Diaries with author and speaker Renee Swope.
2: Our neighborhood architectural committee had left us a notice letting us know that our paint was peeling and that we needed to do something about it within 30 days. Needless to say, we were up on ladders a few weeks later, and the more I scraped, the more the paint peeled, and the more I realized that we really did need to do some repairs. Instead of being frustrated, I was thankful that they were willing to take the time and let us know that we needed to do some maintenance. And then I thought to myself, you know, it's when I'm willing to let God and my girlfriends get up close and personal that they see things in my life that need repair. Maybe it's my attitude towards my husband or my impatience with my kids. And I just realized that I'm thankful that I've got a Lord and a Savior and good girlfriends around me that are willing to speak into my life and let me know when they see areas of my life that need some repair.
1: The Journey Diaries with Christian author and conference speaker Renee Swope. From Biblica at Biblica.com. Life Radio, KKXX AM and FM.
3: we got a whole Christian world that thinks the church has replaced Israel. Sorry, folks. Instead, we ought to be praising God every time we fellowship that He has never given up on the Jews. He showed mercy to the Jews. And by the way, that means He can be merciful to you. David Hawking has more about God's wonderful love for Israel and Gentiles alike this week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Glad you have time to spend with me on a busy weekday afternoon now that Butte County and Chico is opening up. It looks like June 12th was the day they were legally allowed to do that. I'll have to go downtown and see who's who's making money and see who's losing money and see who's getting ready to stiff their landlord. That's probably the latest thing and it's going to happen a lot. I think in general, and I can't speak for everybody, but I would say the landlords and the commercial landlords are pretty, the ones I've run across, they're pretty wealthy, and they probably have some pretty deep pockets to weather this terrible situation they're going to be in when their tenants stop paying the rent. In that respect, maybe the downtown can survive by them letting the tenants pay less rent, giving them a break maybe giving them a month's rent free. I don't know what they'll come up with, but the bottom line is we might have a dying downtown, and I hope not because one of the main reasons I enjoy Chico and the main reason I wanted to come back here after I went to school here to live, and I have been back, and I raised my son here, and it's been a great lifestyle since I've been back. I moved back about 33 years ago, and I'm... So glad I did compared to being in the the East Bay where I was living and where I grew up when I was a kid. One of the main reasons I enjoy this living in Chico is the downtown. I hope it survives. Hopefully the landlords that are, you know, very wealthy can afford to try to keep, keep the businesses going. But that's not my business. It's a free country, right? So they say. Okay, so it's Business Buzz. I got to stick to the topic of business. Well, I mean, you you know I'm I I treat that fairly loosely on this show because I like to talk about money printing and inflation and gold and silver and the fun stuff. So today I've got a couple articles I wanted to share and first one's going to talk about the business of justice. And I don't know if you guys knew this because I don't think it was on the mainstream news. I I don't watch mainstream news, but I watch a little bit occasionally. I catch some by sort of by mistake. I walk into the room and it might be on. I don't rely on it, and I don't believe 90% of what they say. So I'm not sure if they've told you this, but this is dated for immediate release from the Justice Department in Washington, June 15th, execution scheduled for four federal inmates convicted of murdering children. So they're sending a message that people who abuse or hurt children are going to pay. And I believe this is the first scheduled federal death penalty, uh, death sentences to be carried out, executions in, I believe, around 20 years. I'm not going to read the details because it's absolutely disgusting. If you're interested in these stories, you can go to justice.gov and type in execution scheduled for federal inmates and you'll find this article. It was dated uh, Monday the 15th. The details are absolutely disgusting, so I won't read them on the air. But these four people, if if you can call them that, are going to be executed. So I don't know, whatever your feeling on the death penalty is, The Justice Department is sending a big message to people who hurt kids. And uh, this is the start of that message. I won't go any further into that, but that's the start of the message. So bad guys are being warned. You will be executed if you hurt children. Now we're going to get into the business of health. And with a virus situation, which. We're all involved in now. That's a health topic. Here's a health topic. Here's another one that I doubt if you heard about, and I don't know Uh, if you've heard about it. Then, can uh, kudos to the journalist who told you, because I'm telling you, but I haven't heard anybody tell me before. Federal lawsuit could limit fluoride in drinking water. Wednesday, June tenth, twenty twenty. A Landmark federal lawsuit that went to trial this week in California, oh, California of all places, could change the longstanding practice of adding fluoride to the drinking water supplies for 200 million Americans. The lawsuit brought against the EPA, which is Environmental Protection Agency, by groups including the Fluoride Action Network, Food and Water Watch, and Moms Against Fluoridation would compel the agency to require local water utilities to stop adding fluoride to tap water. The suit claims fluoridated drinking water presents an unreasonable risk to public health and can harm the developing brain of young children and babies, causing an IQ deficit. Well, honestly, if you look around, I do believe there's been a huge IQ drop in the last 20 or 30 years. Renowned public health experts such as Dr. Philippe Grandjean of the Harvard Chan School of Public Health have raised concerns about fluoride neurotoxicity, and question the safety of fluoride contaminated drinking water the us first began adding fluoride to drinking water in the 1940s in an attempt to combat widespread tooth decay now i'm just going to take a little break here i i'm i've been reading and talking about talking with friends about fluoride for 30 years it's actually the same chemical that's in rat poison and have you ever heard of anything so ludicrous As putting fluoride in the whole water system for everyone to drink just to try to stop kids' cavities. At the same time, everybody's pushing sugar in their their drinks and in their food. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And you can do research on fluoride. It's very bad. So what I'm saying is here I am on Business Buzz telling you something that I doubt you've heard anywhere else. A lawsuit against fluoride in the water and I mean how it took seventy five it took seventy five years for someone to bring one of these lawsuits. It's like give me a break. And I've been reading about fluoride for years and years. And it's not good. So business buzz. How about here's a topic that I like. I found a book. I've been, I've been clearing out a couple of bookshelves, trying to make room for some things I need to store and store a little better, keep it in good shape. And I came across a real good book that I hadn't seen in a long time. I couldn't remember the author's name until I found the book on my bookshelf. His name is Alex Constantine. And I will say I don't trust the guy fully, but I like some of his articles and I won't get into why I don't trust him fully. This is copyright 1997. The reason I don't trust him fully is there's certain topics he stays away from completely. And I don't think he should, but we, I talked about a few weeks ago on business buzz. I talked about operation mockingbird and this book called virtual government has an entire chapter about it. I'm not going to sh- read the whole thing because I I actually need to reread this and condense it down because it's 32 pages. But the title of this chapter is And Now a Few Words from Our Sponsor, the CIA. And uh, I talked about Operation Mockingbird a few weeks ago. And uh, this is a great book. It's got a great chapter on it. I may I may reread this and break it down to an outline and go through it one of these days on business buzz, but I'm coming up on that second break. So I'm going to come back and read a little bit from this book called virtual government. And I hope you enjoy it. I think it'll be, I think it'll be educational. I think it'll be entertaining and I guarantee you've never heard this anywhere else. Stay tuned to business buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA. I'll be right back. this is rob walter host of red sky radio with rob walter this is a program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation where truth trumps political correctness and where the uncompromised word of god exposes the works of darkness and sets free those
4: held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media
3: America, we have a trail
4: to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Join me at 7 a.m. on KKXX. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on KKXX.
3: We have been talking about hopelessness this week, telling the story of a paralyzed man in the Bible who had missed Jesus coming to Capernaum the first time and was trying to get to a second meeting. I'm Gary Wilkerson with World Challenge. In Mark 2, Jesus again is in town and completely surrounded by crowds Remember, the paralyzed man had been carried wherever he went. He's lying there, and there's crowds of people running, and he's yelling out, What's going on? Jesus is back. He's coming to heal again. And the man is thinking, I can't move. I can't go. Can you hear this, man? There's great things happening, but I keep missing out. Can you hear yourself here? My marriage will always be the same. My finances will always be the same. The problems I have will always be the same. Things won't change until Jesus takes over. Tomorrow, we will find out that it's not over for that paralyzed man, nor for you. I'm Gary Wilkerson. If you'd like to receive a monthly word of encouragement, reach out to us at pray.worldchallenge.org. That's pray.worldchallenge.org.
0: The Bible and the Coronavirus. This is Ken Ham, author of a book on why God allows disease, death, and suffering. As we consider the tragedy of the coronavirus, how do Christians explain why we have disease, suffering, and death? Well, yesterday I said we live in a cursed, fallen world. It's not the original world God created. Second, I think of Job and all the terrible things he endured. God reminded Job of who God is, the Creator, who's in charge of all things. Job's response needs to be ours. He said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God knows all things,
4: but our fallible, fallen brain can't. His purposes can't be fully comprehended. But
0: let's continue to search God's Word for answers.
2: There's so much more to discover at our faith-building website, AnswersRadio.com. Find truth and comfort from God's Word by going to AnswersRadio.com. I used to watch like tons of TV, and now I can turn the radio on and just listen to that all day. It's a life-changing station. Your life has significance and purpose. Oh, it gives you hope. It just lifts your day up. Jesus said that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That
1: includes truths about who you are and how God sees you. Our
2: programming helps
1: you grasp those truths.
2: I listen to it when I go to work, and it helps make the day a better day. You
1: found Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Now we're going to get in. How about the business of daycare? I have to tie this to a business theme, don't I? So I'm reading from virtual government, Alex Constantine, copyright 1997. Hey, they were still printing paper books in 1997. What do you know? I'm just going to start this as a business of daycare chapter. I'm going to read some of this. Paul Bynum, this is called Welcome to Manhattan Beach. Paul Bynum graduated from college in 1972 and joined the Hermosa Beach Police Department a year later. At 31, he was promoted to the rank of chief detective. He was not a typical investigator. A fellow detective observes that Bynum was too bright to be a cop. Off-duty, he drove an MG and mixed with the 60s survivors at the Sweetwater Cafe. In 1976, Bynum was assigned the investigation of the Karen Class murder. Class C-L-A-A-S. That sounds like poly Class, but this is a different one. Class was the divorced wife of Bill Medley, a vocalist for the Righteous Brothers. She was raped and murdered one morning, about an hour after dropping her five-year-old son off at the McMartin preschool in Manhattan Beach. Neighbors told police they'd been alarmed at of a menacing stranger spotted before the murder, wandering through the neighborhood. Police later entertained speculation that class had been stalked. Throughout the week, her body, throughout the week, her body was found. The same stranger had popped up several times on her street corner. A neighbor phoned Karen to warn her. She didn't answer the phone. When friends entered the back door of the house concerned for her safety, they found a Caucasian male with a beard, about 5'7", about 28 years old, dressed in a long olive green coat with a tunic collar and boots, exiting through the front door. Class was found naked and unconscious. She died five days later. Nothing was stolen. Police had no indication that Class knew her killer. In 1984, shortly after indictments were handed down to defendants, in the McMartin child molestation case, Gerald Class, her husband, drove off a cliff in Oregon and was killed. Children alleged in a grand jury hearing that teachers at the preschool had threatened to kill family members if they disclosed abuse. It was rumored that the Class deaths and the McMartin case may have been related. But police insisted there was no connection. We have no leads, no suspects, and we're not coordinating with Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach Lieutenant Mike Lavin told reporters in 1979, Paul Bynum was forced out of the police department without an explanation, despite an unblemished record. After the, de- after the detective completed an investigation of a series of murders of teenage girls in nearby Redondo beach, culminating in the arrest and conviction of serial killers, Ray Nor- Roy Norris and Lawrence Bittaker, police chief Frank Beeson pressured him to take a stress leave. Bynum was still haunted by the serial murder investigation but he remained confident in his emotional stability and refused to leave. The chief obtained an order from the city manager, and Bynum was forced out on indefinite disability leave. He chalked it up to internal politics, paranoia, a purging of all potential detractors in the police department. Bynum told local reporter Kevin Cody, when the papers reported that Beeson had shown up apparently drunk at his first Hermosa City Council meeting and dropped his revolver on the floor, He thought we had tipped reporters. Beeson Beeson was apparently unaware that reporters routinely attended meetings of the city council. Bynum found a new career as a private investigator. In March 1984, he was retained by the Bucky's defense attorney, Danny Davis, and in the course of his investigation came to the conclusion that children had been abused at the preschool. Bynum found the videotaped interviews of the children by child therapists credible. One afternoon outside the courtroom, Cody mentioned to Bynum that hundreds of children had alleged abuse took place at the preschool. A dark cloud of distress passed over Bynum's face. He stammered that he had no idea so many children were involved. So I'm not going to go into all this detail. It's a great book. I think everybody should read it. The bottom line is the bottom line is you're never told the truth about things like if any of you remember the McMartin preschool. You have no idea what really happened if you listen to the regular news. So, I just wanted to bring that up because that I found that book after not seeing it for about ten years in the in the back of a bookshelf, and I finally found it, and I really enjoyed it when I first read it. And I'm going to reread some of it. But if you're interested in really learning about what really goes on versus what you get told, one of the best stories you can re- research right now with the internet and everything because they didn't really have the internet in 84 back when the McMartin case was going. Just start reading about the McMartin preschool if you've got the stomach to handle it. It's very, very sick, and it ties right into the fact that uh, the Federal Justice Department is now executing child abusers. And uh, I won't get into all the details, but that is an omen of things that I believe are going to be happening over the next few months. I'm uh, not sure yet. I don't want to prove it. I, I can't prove it, but I do believe that in the next few months we're going to be hearing a lot of stories about that subject. And if you want to sort of get yourself prepared for it, I would say the McMartin Preschool is a great story to start doing some research on because it's absolutely not what you think. It's not what you were told. Now this is an article I printed from a couple of weeks ago and I just, it's about gold and silver. So I wanted to share it with the business buzz today because the more, the, the more the printing goes on. Oh, the other thing was the federal reserve, I believe a week, week or two ago came out and said, we will not raise interest rates through 2022, which guarantees two and a half years of zero interest. So all the crooks that are using zero interest to buy back their stock and all those kind of guys like Tesla and Amazon and all that stuff. um, They can just keep pumping up the stock market. They got zero interest for two more years at least. Funny, my credit cards don't offer me zero interest. Well, they do for like 12, they do for like 12 months Then they get you hooked in and then it goes back to 12 or 15%. So, when do I get my 0% loan? I'm still looking. Let me know if you find a way to get it. Okay, so this is by a guy named Dave Kranzler. It says, and it's talking about uh, an article. I'm going to just read from this article. An article from Bloomberg, that's the big uh, business network, was published which alleged that New York gold traders drown in glut. The COMEX is now reporting there's 26 million ounces of gold in COMEX vaults 17 million of which is in the eligible account. This is up from 9 million total ounces at the end of March, 5.5 million of which was, quote, eligible. And Mr. Kranzer goes on, I find it amusing that the mainstream media swallows the COMEX data reports without fact-checking or insisting on an independent audit of the bars. Ronan Manley of Bullion Star published a research piece in which he dug up a letter from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange to the CFTC, which is the, uh, the Fed, uh, Futures Trading Commission, which stated that the CME believes the deliverable supply of eligible is 50% of the reported number. That's if we take the CME's estimate. The world was told six weeks ago that it was impossible to transport gold bars overseas, and a scheme was rigged to make London gold 400-ounce bars available on a fractional basis to satisfy COMEX deliveries at the option of the party taking delivery. But the bars were to remain in London. Now think about that. I'm, I'm, I'm interjecting here. Okay, your Chicago or your New York gold account is going to deliver you your 100-ounce bars, but the bars were to remain in London, and those are 400-ounce bars. Suddenly the COMEX found several million ounces of gold in its warehouse stock report bars that are unaccounted for and supposedly sitting in London vaults. In all likelihood the 17 million ounces of gold added to Comex vaults is likely from double counting bars in London. I know many of those reading this might find this too conspiratorial but it's been long acknowledged that the LBMA which is the London bullion uh, area is running a fractional bullion system. Well I'm going to take that last break of the day and I'll be right back but we really do need to dig into a little bit about this fake gold market and how they're keeping you believing that your dollars are good investments. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA. I'll be right back on Business Buzz. Stay tuned.
1: Hi, this is Pastor Chris Kinson of Community Church of God in Chico, and I'm happy to announce that our church has joined KKXX. Community Church of God has been a fixture in Chico for many years, and now will be coming to you over the airwaves. Our program is called Your Message for Today, and will be broadcast on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We hope that you enjoy the Bible-based teaching preaching that will be featured on these programs we'd also like to extend to you an invitation to come and visit us at community church of god 1095 east avenue in chico our services are 11 a.m sundays and bible studies at 7 p.m wednesday come and worship with community church of god and may god richly bless you
4: In God we trust. Our coins and currency cry out that proclamation. Let us reaffirm that powerful attitude in our daily lives and the choices we make. Fellow Americans, recommit that faith and trust in Almighty God and His ways. That this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom. Individually and together, we can make the sacrifices needed to bring God's abundant blessings to America. America, bless God.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA on a on a nearly summer day in Chico. Not quite summer, but we're getting there. Okay, I'm going to keep reading from this Dave Kranzer article. It's talking about how phony the gold market is. That said, it says uh, that said, assume that 26 million ounces of gold are real. Discount the 17 million eligible by the CMA self-admitted discount factor, and 50% of that leaves 17.5 million alleged gold ounces available for delivery. But the gold contract open interest is 510,000 contracts, or 51 million ounces of paper gold. In relation to 17 million ounces of gold that may be available for delivery, it's highly misleading and probably intentionally misleading to call the supply of gold in New York City a glut. And remember, at the start of the article, uh, Bloomberg published an article that acted like there's a glut of gold. Add to this deceptive Bloomberg article a report from Reuters that CME banks, which is Chicago Mercantile Exchange banks, are pulling back from the COMEX. To begin with, HSBC attributed its $200 million hit from gold trading to its London operations. The article also claims that 400 tons of gold have been shipped to New York City despite the narrative in April that gold couldn't be moved from London to New York. I surmise the movement of gold is digital-based. As Bill Murphy commented, we were told there's trouble getting gold to New York. Now they say there's too much. Don't believe any of it. They are scared to death about something. There's a big problem at the COMEX, that's the, the New York one, and that's why the bullion banks are pulling away from it. Scotia Makata is closing its precious metals operations and taking a loss to do it. Mokata bullion has been in operation since 1684. Yeah, that's not a typo. 1684 and was one of the largest operators on the COMEX in gold and silver. I'm not sure it's even credible to say the bullion banks are pulling away from the COMEX. The gold open interest was over 800,000 contracts 80 million ounces of gold earlier this year. The banks have been working hard to reduce their open interest and short exposure, that much is true, but historically the open interest on the COMEX for gold has ranged between 200,000 and 400,000 contracts. In that context, how can a drop in open interest to 500,000 contracts be considered pulling back? Since late August 2019, the activity on the COMEX has been what many of us consider strange, if not engulfed with the scent of desperation. The fractional 400-ounce gold contract and the two articles discussed above are a few examples out of many. Recall the CME introduced the pledged gold category back in October 2019. Pledge gold is just another from paper derivative gold. HSBC jumped on that designation immediately. We find out a few months later that HSBC had impaled itself on its gold trading and custodial activities and required the Pledge Gold designation in order to meet the collateral requirements as a clearing member of the CME. As with the fiat currency fractional banking monetary system, the bullion market in London and New York City has become a fractionalized system of derivatives and other forms of paper gold, leases, hypothecation, and lending, backed by a tiny amount of real physical gold relative to the amount of paper claims. This fractional bullion system is crumbling at its core and the propagandist articles like the one above being disseminated through the mainstream media are a reflection that something is seriously wrong at the COMEX. If you don't have possession of the gold you think you own, you do not own it. The world will eventually understand why that assertion is true. So I did want to share that article because that kind of summarizes what's going on. They've got all this fake Gold, They claim they have, but they can't deliver it. They even had to make it where the normal New York delivery of 100-ounce bars has now been supplanted because they didn't have any 100-ounce bars. Now you get a share of a 400-ounce London bar, but they can't transport the bars from London to New York. How, How do you think you really own 100 ounces of gold when you do one of those contracts? if the gold number one is in London and you can't get it in New York, and number two, it's a 400-ounce bar and they owe you a 100-ounce bar. The whole thing's a complete joke. And I do encourage you to put at least some of your savings into physical gold and silver just as an insurance against the crooked paper money that is only as good as the paper it's printed on and the faith people have in our government. Now, the problem is, as the stewards of the world's reserve currency, which is the US dollar, we have not been good babysitters because we're printing, trill- like I said, we're printing trillions of dollars a month to shore up the bankrupt banks that have basically been bankrupt since 2008. And the money printing just keeps on, keeps on going. Uh, not, not a good thing. So I've got a few more minutes in Business Buzz show today, so I won't. I've got a, some. I did have some other gold and silver articles, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into that right now. I'm looking for a couple other articles I saved. Oh, oh, here's a good one. How about the business of internet searching? We all do it, right? And I'll bet 90% of us use Google, right? I try to use Brave. They supposedly don't track you. I also use DuckDuckGo once in a while. Supposedly they don't track you. Uh, I know Google does track you. Uh, Bing will track you. That's a Microsoft deal. Uh, You know, whether you're paranoid or not doesn't mean they aren't tracking you. That's the way I look at it. But whatever, they can track me. I mean, I don't care what they see me looking at. I'm mainly just looking at new tax law and uh, stimulus law so I can educate the audience here of business buzz. That's my goal. So I've got a great article about tracking and about internet searching. You ready for this one? Let me see if I can find a date. Okay. Oh, this is from the end of 2017. This isn't even new, but it's a very important, and it doesn't have to be new because it's a little history lesson. So every time you search on Google, you can remind, you can think of me and thank me for telling you about this. So the title of this article is Google's True Origin, partly lies in CSA, I'm sorry, CIA and NSA research grants for mass surveillance. Two decades ago the US and this is from a place called uh, Qz.com. Quartz. It's a place called Quartz. So it says, two de- and this is written in end of 2017, two decades ago, the U.S. intelligence community worked closely with Silicon Valley in an effort to track citizens in cyberspace. And Google is at the heart of that origin story. Some of the research that led to Google's ambitious creation was funded and coordinated by a research group established by the intelligence community to find ways to track individuals and groups online. So like I say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't tracking you. I'll read, I'll read some more. The intelligence community hoped that the nation's leading computer scientists could take non-classified information and user data, combine it with what would become known as the Internet, and begin to create for-profit commercial enterprises to suit the needs of both the intelligence community and the public. They hoped to direct the supercomputing revolution from the start in order to make sense of what millions of human beings did inside this digital information network. Sorry, I had to turn my, my, my tablet around here. Oh, where was I? Well, I'll just pick up here. The story of the deliberate creation of the modern mass surveillance state includes elements of Google's surprising and largely unknown origin. It is a somewhat different creation story than the one the public has heard and explains what Google co-founders Sergi Brin and Larry Page set out to build and why. But this isn't just the origin story of Google. It's the origin story of the mass surveillance state and the government money that funded it. Backstory, the intelligence community and Silicon Valley. In the mid-1990s, the intelligence community in America began to realize that they had an opportunity. The supercomputing community was just beginning to migrate from university settings into the private sector, led by investments from a place that would come to be known as Silicon Valley. The intelligence community wanted to shape Silicon Valley's efforts at their inception so they would be useful for homeland security purposes. A digital revolution was underway, one that would transform the world of data gathering and how we make sense of massive amounts of information. The intelligence community wanted to shape Silicon Valley's supercomputing efforts so they would be useful for both military and homeland security purposes. Could this supercomputing network, which would become capable of storing terabytes of information, make intelligent sense of the digital trail that human beings leave behind? Answering this question was of great interest to the intelligence community. Intelligence gathering may have been their world, but the CIA and the National Security Agency had come to realize that their future was likely to be profoundly shaped outside the government. It was at a time when military and intelligence budgets within the Clinton administration were in jeopardy and the private sector had vast resources at their disposal. If the intelligence community wanted to conduct mass surveillance for national security purposes, it would require cooperation between the government and the emerging supercomputing companies. To do this, they began reaching out to the scientists at American universities who were creating this supercomputing revolution. These scientists were developing ways to do what no single group of human beings sitting at workstations in the NSA and the CIA could ever hope to do, gather huge amounts of data and make intelligent sense of it. There was already a long history of collaboration between America's best scientists and the intelligence community from the creation of the atomic bomb and satellite technology to efforts to put a man on the moon. The Internet itself was created because of an intelligence effort. In fact, the Internet itself was created because of an intelligence effort. In the 1970s, the agency responsible for developing emergency technologies for military, intelligence, and national security purposes The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, linked four supercomputers to handle massive data transfers. It handed the operation off to the National Science Foundation a decade or so later, which proliferated the network across thousands of universities and eventually the public, thus creating the architecture and scaffolding of the World Wide Web. Silicon Valley was no different. By the mid-1990s, the intelligence community was ceding funding to the most promising supercomputing efforts across academia guiding the creation of efforts to make massive amounts of information useful for both the private sector as well as the intelligence community they funded these computer scientists through an unclassified highly compartmentalized program that was managed for the cia and the nsa by large military and intelligence contractors it was called the massive digital data systems project mdds well, I'll let you guys finish that because I'm running up on the end of the Business Buzz show for today. But the title of that article is Google's True Origin Partly Lies in CIA and NSA Research Grants. So that's my, that's my contribution today to getting you guys thinking outside the box and at least knowing what to research. If you feel like doing some learning and some reading, start looking into that whole rabbit hole because when you really find out the origins of things like Google and Yahoo and all these big uh, internet companies, you'll start to be shocked and you'll start to wonder why you use Google at all when there's other search services that don't track you. It's pretty interesting stuff. Well, that about does it for me on Business Buzz. I've got a lot of work to do. With July 15th looming, I've got to finish a lot of income taxes Make sure that if people owe, I can get them the correct amount by July 15 so they don't owe interest and penalties. What a world we live in. 2020 has been the weirdest year ever. If you want a little recap of my feelings, the entire virus thing is just an excuse to have the economy collapse and blame it on something other than the misdeeds of the Federal Reserve and all the other central banks. I won't even get into my opinion of this whole racial thing. I, of course, I agree that it's terrible when these things happen, but I don't agree that this, the appearance on TV is like this country is just full of you're either a racist or a protester, and uh, that's not the case. There's a lot of people who are neither. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll see you next time on Business Buzz. Thanks for listening in. Have a great day. KKXX, Paradise. K280GL, Chico. And K283AR, Chico.
4: This hour from townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. As President Trump signed an executive order on policing following weeks of national protests after the death of George Floyd, a hearing on policing and community relations was held on Capitol Hill. Civil rights attorney Lee Merritt says the nation's law enforcement culture needs sweeping reform.
2: We live in the deadliest police culture and most incarceration-prone police culture in the modern world. Our criminal justice and legal system is as ravenous as it is racist. While
4: Senator Lindsey Graham says he thinks Congress
2: can come up with a
4: good bill on nationwide police reform. There are a lot of ideas coming from different corners of the political spectrum. The question for the committee, is it possible to find common ground? The answer is obviously yes.
1: If we want to,
4: Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell says the country is facing a deep downturn with significant uncertainty about the timing and strength of an economic recovery in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. He warns that the longer the recession lasts, the worse the damage that will be inflicted on the job market and businesses. Testifying before the Senate Banking Committee, Powell says the virus will, in large part, dictate the economic recovery. Significant uncertainty remains about the timing and strength of recovery. Much of that uncertainty comes from uncertainty about the path of the disease and the effects of measures to contain it. Powell says the central bank was committed to using all of its powers to cushion the economic fallout from the coronavirus, but he says until the public is confident that the disease has been contained, a full recovery is unlikely. A border clash high in the Himalayas between India and China has claimed the lives of 20 Indian soldiers. It's the first deadly violence since the two nuclear-armed neighbors faced off in a border dispute 45 years ago. On Wall Street, that out by 526 points. More on these stories at townhall.com. The Senate's top Republican says anti-police protesters in cities like Seattle are sending the wrong message. Senator Mitch McConnell admits it's been a rough three
1: months for many Americans. In some corners of the country, our nation's strategic reserve of sanity appears to have run a little low.
4: McConnell especially upset that what began as peaceful demonstrations in some cities were hijacked by anti-police looters and riots.
1: Apparently rioters thought the best way to argue against a strong police force